What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today's episode is an important listen, a must listen, if you will. I had Coach Ali Sempek on the show, and this is somebody that I just recently got connected with, and she dropped a ton of knowledge. And I'm talking like the things that you need to hear, not necessarily the things that you want to hear. Uh, we got pretty deep on this episode, uh, talking about some of our, both of our individual stories and kind of disordered tendencies and how they evolved and kind of how we both crawled our way out of them and um, how that might be relevant to you and your situation. I know so many people struggle with a poor relationship with food and body image and the scale. And we touched on all of that. So do me a favor. If this resonates with you, we would love to hear about it. The best way to tell us and for us to know is for you to take a screenshot of the episode and then post it to your stories on Instagram. You can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Allie at ask coach Allie. And it's A-L-I, Ask Coach Alley. And then if you are not already subscribed to the show, that is the best way to support. Uh, just hit the follow button or the subscribe button, whatever button it is, um, depending on the platform. And all that does is it just notifies you of new episodes when they are released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then if you leave a five-star review, five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Every single week on Wednesday, we pick a winner who left a review and you get a free supplement of your choice from one of our sponsors, Cured Nutrition, Organifi, or Legion Athletics. So go ahead and leave the review and maybe turn up the volume a little bit on this one. You're probably going to want to rewind some parts. You're probably going to want to listen again. This is a super important conversation and uh, enjoy it. All right. What's up, everybody? I am joined today by a very special guest on the show. I have Coach Ali Sempek joining me from the cold state of Nebraska. <laughs> Ali, thanks for joining. Absolutely. And unfortunately, I, I need I need a little warm weather this direction. So if anyone could send it to me, that would be great. Oh, we need that over here on the East Coast as well. And uh, yeah, it's been we've been like no sun or anything. So I feel like I need I need to like remember what it feels like to be warm and get some sunshine in my life. Have have kind of the endorphin boost. Exactly. The, I, the running joke here is that in the Midwest, um, once it's over forty degrees, it's like we all come back to life. It's like we we were just dead to the world for the last three months, and now everyone's in shorts. I, and I'm I like, would take forty degrees. That's <laughs> that's a good cutoff. Um, so I would love for you to just kind of give a little background on what you do and um, kind of how you, I, I love to hear the origin story as well. So kind of uh, how you got started in the health and wellness space and kind of your own journey that led you to what you're doing now and just kind of however far back uh, is relevant for you to kind of give us context. But I always am curious to hear the origin story. So um, I'll let you share uh, whatever you feel like is relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a women's wellness coach, um, but I kind of joke that that title doesn't really fully encompass what I do. Um, I work specifically with women to break up with diet culture, to really, you know, ditch the diets, ditch the the food rules that we've always been taught um, in order to discover like a healthier, happier, and more confident life. Um, my own origin story, it's funny that you say, you know, how far back it can go. Um, mine is truly my entire life. Um, I grew up in a very holistic fitness family. My mom owned a gym my whole life and my dad's a chiropractor. So I kind of was born into it, um, but I didn't fit, right? I was curvy. I was, you know, growing up a lot faster than the girls around me. And I never quite felt like I fit that uh, fitness narrative, especially in like the 90s and early 2000s. Um, because that was really when bodybuilding was big. That was when really like skinny bodies were, were really prevalent. Um, and I just didn't really feel like I, I matched any category, whether it was the family that I was in or the friends I was around. 
um, or even what like the health industry said was healthy, was beautiful. Um, so growing up, I, I really put it on myself to learn all the information I could about nutrition, about fitness so that I could fix myself. Right. Because I thought if I was in a smaller body, I would finally be happy. I'd be accepted. I'd be, you know, loved. And that could not be further from the truth. Right. So over the course of about a decade, if not longer, I struggled with like extreme disordered eating. Um, what I know now is body dysmorphia, did not see the body that I was in in the same light that other people did. Um, and was truly obsessed with this idea of putting myself in a smaller body, right? I used to kind of joke, like I I really correlated myself with this identity of like being a gym rat. Like I, I need to look like I work out. And no matter what I did, it almost took me further and further from that goal. Um, I mean, every diet that's out there, every macro breakdown, every fitness plan, you could throw it at me and I've probably done it. Um, because I was truly trying to figure out, you know, what worked and it kind of seemed like I was the problem, like nothing ever worked for me. Um, so kind of fast forward, this is a, a very brief version of my story, but fast forward, I really discovered like, if I can't have chocolate, what is the point, right? Like if I'm going to hate the body I'm looking at in the mirror every day, if I'm punishing myself at the gym, I'm literally putting myself into depression, anxiety. I Everything is correlated. If that's what it is, then what's the point? Why am I doing this to myself? Um, so really went on kind of my own journey of discovering like what is going to work for me um, and that I can't be the only one feeling this way, right? As I started to share my own story, other women would say, yeah, me too. Yeah, I feel that way too. I've I've always struggled in my body. Like I just don't know what to do right? There's no one that can guide me through it. Um, and so that is really how I created my coaching business was through my own story and then relating to other women and saying, like, it doesn't have to be that way. You can actually love the body that you're in and have goals to be, you know, stronger, faster, healthier, whatever it might be um, outside of just aesthetics. Yeah, that resonates with me a lot and, and very similar. There's a lot of uh, overlap in our stories and um, I didn't have the the fitness background from my parents, but I did grow up an athlete. So there was that side of things. Um, but I'm, I'm curious because I, I want to get into what you discovered in the path that you took to, uh, you know, find what that looked like for you, where you uh, were no longer depriving yourself and trying to to fit the mold and fit into a, a skinny narrative. But I want to take it back to the family dynamic because that really fascinates me of you know, mom being a gym owner, did, you know, dad being a, a chiropractor, they, did they notice any of those uh, disordered tendencies? Was there concern? Was there, are you an only child? Or did you have siblings that kind of fit the mold and you felt like the outcast? I'm really curious what that kind of looked yeah. like for you. Um, <laughs> my mom loves this. And I say that sarcastically because she comes up on every single podcast that I do. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. The relationship that me and her have now developed through my coaching because she's learned so much about her own relationship with food. Um, so to backtrack, I am one of three kids. I have two brothers, so I'm the only girl. Um, both my brothers were in sports. I was more of a singer dancer, uh, very much more of the, the space where you have to be fitted for costumes constantly. You have to be measured all the time. Um, you know, I had a mom that is an incredible human being would give her shirt off her back to anyone, uh, but struggled with her own confidence for the majority of her own life and her own upbringing. Um, so her own relationship with food was very skewed as I was growing up. And so with good intention, she was trying to help me, right? Because probably from about middle school on, I would say both my parents knew that something was off. Um, me and my mom started arguing a lot. We would butt heads often. Um, my dad was kind of the person that'd be like, Hey, let's just like, let's calm down. Like everything's fine. Like would never comment on my body or my looks or anything in that regard. Um, because he knew that that was a trigger, but I think they both got to a point where they're like, we don't know what to do. Right. Because 
what I was going through and what so many other girls go through is that my relationship with food was not a, a classified eating disorder, right? I wasn't not eating. I wasn't, you know, starving myself. It was that my, I was controlling it, right? I was obsessed with it to the point where I'd restrict and then I'd binge eat at a friend's house. Um, and so in my mom's viewpoint, it was like, if I can teach her about nutrition and about calories and how to count things, that'll help. And what that did was send me spiraling down a rabbit hole for about a decade that was not helpful, right? Um, but it all came from a good intention. So I think a lot of times when we talk about like our parents and our family dynamic, so much of it is like, I call it like generational baggage that they're doing the best with what they have resource to, but it's not actually helping. Yeah, completely right. agree. That's very similar to my experience. I have two older sisters. I was the only boy. Um, I remember my mom uh, always being on a diet, counting points, you know, uh, the low fat, everything, the spray butters and all of that stuff around the house. And um, I think my sisters got uh, kind of the the worst experience because they they were girls and um, just naturally from societal pressure and and trying to, again, like you said, fit that skinny narrative. Um, they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And my oldest sister um, struggled with anorexia for a long time. And um, again, my same, same situation, yeah. like wonderful parents, the most caring, supportive, at all of our events and games and, you know, showing up for everything would do anything for, for any of us, but it was just a, a lack of understanding at that time, you know, seeing what you see in, in media and, you know, what they were reading and, and consuming all the time. It's just, it influences their relationship with food that then gets yeah. passed down. Yeah. Um, so with that, I was going to say, and I think even further from that, it, it almost comes from this place, like you're saying of it's the knowledge that they had. Um, and it's really scary to look outside of the box, right? Because I think to our parents' point, they wanted us to be accepted. They wanted us to be, um, you know, you don't, you never want your child to be in a position where they don't feel, uh, loved or supported or, or, you know, accepted by society. And so it's almost like subconsciously they're thinking, well, society tells me I need to be on a diet. I need to track my food. So I need to teach her how to do that too, because she's unhappy with the body she's in. And this is the only way I know how, even though it's so backwards because it's never worked for anybody. Right. And I think that's the, the part that we go through these cycles. I spent about 10 years in that restrictive chronic dieting, yo-yo dieting, losing weight, gaining it back. And you know, the better part of a decade, um, wait, when it's just, there's so many things that we would identify in our lives where if you're doing the same thing over and over again, it's not working, then we would look at the method. But for some reason, dieting is one of those things that just keeps like still a, what, $80 billion industry for the, because we, we never look at the diet itself. We always look at ourselves as the source of the failure. Well, I couldn't stay consistent enough. I didn't have enough willpower. I wasn't disciplined enough. Uh, and it, and it takes a moment of true, like, usually rock bottom to recognize maybe I've been viewing this all wrong. I'm curious, did you have that like rock bottom moment? Something has to change. Like this is not okay type of situation. Yes. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head there too, is we have been almost um, manipulated to a point where we're so fearful of weight gain because we've been taught that gaining weight is bad. It makes you a bad person. It means you failed that even though people know that diets don't work, they still get on them and like phrase them as something different, right? Oh, I'm being, I'm being healthy. I'm on, I'm being good this week, right? They phrase it differently because again, they're just so scared of what might happen when in reality, that's not always the case. Yeah. Um, but I wanna, yeah, I want to interject there real quick because you just like nailed something from my past that, so my sister that I mentioned who struggled with anorexia, she went on to heal herself and then became a very well uh, respected therapist that specializes in eating disorders. Yeah. And while I was going, she's, she's um, seven years older than me, but when I, when I was going through my own struggle, she asked if I would go out to lunch with her and she's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we get to lunch and I order like salad 
no cheese, no croutons, no dressing, just dressing on the side, just not even dress the, just keep the dressing away. And then like, I'll have grilled chicken on it, but make sure you don't cook it in butter or oil. I just want spray. And she's like, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. So she opens up the conversation about orthorexia and I had never heard of it before. And I got super defensive. And my whole thing was health. This is about me being healthy. I'm not dieting. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just being healthy. And I think you just nailed it where we kind of mask what we're doing as something it's, you know, it's just different versions of the same thing with a, with a new label or veil. And, um, yeah, I think it's just an important conversation because a lot of times we think we're doing the right thing, but it's actually perpetuating the issue, um, and, and the things that we're struggling with. And what's, what's funny. So I, I went to college actually for advertising, um, you know, back when advertising was a completely different realm than it is now with social media. Um, but it, you know, I think to to your point is so much of that is now shifted as well, right? Diets are no longer about oh you're going to lose ten pounds in X days. It's about oh well, this is about your health. This is about um, you know being having more muscle and having a leaner body. It's it's all the narrative has shifted along with it, right? And so it's even more confusing for people because if they don't know any better. It is. It's it's truly saying, oh, this is for your health, but it's not right. Your your size of your body, and we could argue this, you know, in in many different ways. But your size of your body doesn't tell me a lot about your health unless you are very far on one end of the spectrum. I want to take a brief pause in this episode with Ali because we're we're talking about doing things that make you feel good, that make you feel your best, healthy habits because you love yourself and you treat yourself with respect. And part of that for me is making sure that I have all of my vitamins and minerals and micronutrients in check in terms of giving my body the things that it needs to help me feel my best. And part of that routine is through Legion Athletics. Uh, Legion has an incredible assortment of products that are all quality. You don't have to worry about any filler or you know fake ingredients or anything like that. It's all quality. Um, great people behind the brand. and. Part of my routine, um, I use them for, I use their magnesium, I use their vitamin D, I use their fish oil, I use their protein, and I use their multivitamin, um, all specifically because I know that I am, am low. I actually had my blood work done recently, and vitamin D was an important one that I needed to increase my dose. Um, magnesium was also another thing that I uh, is important for me to be consistent with, and then fish oil. And um, I know that I feel a little bit better when I take the multivitamin. Of course, they have the protein powder. They have, um, if you want to be taking creatine, which probably everybody should, if you have uh, performance or strength or muscle building aspirations. Um, and it also has cognitive benefits and they have a post-workout um, product that has creatine in it. So Legion's got you covered. You get 20% off by being a Mind Over Macros listener. And if you're like, I don't know where to start, um, go to their site, legionathletics.com. And if you struggle to get in enough protein, check out their way, check out their plant-based protein. Um, they also, if you're, you know, basically if you're a human, you're probably deficient in vitamin D. So check out their vitamin D. Magnesium is so underrated. It plays a role in over 800 processes in the body. So get yourself the magnesium complex that they have. And Fill in the gaps. Like, you know, if you are not getting in enough um, omega 3s because you don't eat a lot of fatty fish, not a lot of salmon in your diet, um, just supplement with the fish oil product that they have and creatine, something that everybody can benefit from. So it's legionathletics.com. The code is POPFAM. That's P O P F A M for 20% off. If you are an existing Legion customer, you'll get double the points that you normally would by using the promo code. So they have a point system that basically is, uh, you can use it kind of like cash that you accumulate and you get double points for your order if you use code POPFAM. So uh, for if you haven't been a, use, uh, a customer, then you'll get 20% off. If you're an existing customer, you get double points. Legionathletics.com, the code is POPFAM. And now let's get back to the episode. All the way back to your question. Yes, I had a moment where 
after college, um, I was truly doing the same shit different day, right? I was tracking my macros. I was recalculating them every day at work because I, I truly thought, well, something has to be off. I had, I had to have figured out the, the wrong number. That's why things aren't changing. Right. Um, I was weighing myself every single morning. Um, you know, I was going to the gym before work. I was going to the gym after work. I was skipping work events, um, you know, opportunities to make friends and be social. Uh, I wouldn't drink at anything because I knew how many calories was in, you know, a cocktail. Um, and I was miserable. You know, I was very, very lonely. I was very isolated. And I kind of hit this, hit this wall where I realized this is the first time I had ever experienced depression because I would go into work and I would blink and the day would be over and I hadn't done anything. I had literally sat there in kind of like a daze, um, not realizing that I was having an anxiety attack. And I had reached out to therapists, had reached out to other coaches. I either couldn't afford them or they didn't know what to do with me um, because they kept trying to just give me meal plans or they thought it came from some childhood trauma that I had. And I, and it wasn't either. Right. Um, and so I ended up driving from my college town where I was still living and working um, to, back to my hometown, which is about 45 minutes. And I would drive that every night just because I wanted to be at home with my parents and literally cry in my dad's arms because I felt crazy. I could not stop like the obsessive thoughts. My heart was racing all the time. I was so fucking hungry. And he actually said exactly what you and I have said several times now. He said, Allie, you are doing the same thing every single day, expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. You have to do something different. And I kept arguing, I am doing something different, right? I'm trying these different, these different food plans and I'm trying these different workouts. And he's like, no, underneath all of those are still the same thing. And now it's dripping into the rest of your life. It's affecting your relationships, your career, you know, who you are, like you're not yourself anymore. And I think that point, like, I mean, it still like chokes me up because I was, I was such a shell of, of who I was. I wasn't outgoing anymore. I wasn't confident. I, you know, I had a hard time connecting with people because I was constantly thinking. Um, and so that I would say was kind of that pivotal moment of like, okay, yeah, can't keep doing this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't move back in with mom and dad and, and nothing's going to change. Like something desperately has to. Yeah. And I, I definitely can relate to the isolated feeling, the loneliness, the, Call you know, I actually wrote about this this morning. Where um, if if a friend asked me out for dinner or drinks, you would have thought they asked me like the most difficult question on a final exam that my entire grade depended on. And I was like sweating and anxiety and like, how am I going to tell them no without hurting their feelings and knowing that I can't meticulously track my food if I go out? Um, so what was the the change? What was the the thing that you did to start to find uh, you know the the escape route? Um, you know, I think it's interesting because anytime someone asks me that it would be great if I just had a answer, right. It'd be great if we all just had a, a moment where everything was, was clear. Um, but for me, it was a lot of trial and error, right. It was saying, okay, something has to change. And I, I wasn't quite ready to give up that identity, right. I was still so fearful to give up the identity of like someone who has dieted her whole life. And never really admitted that I was dieting, right? Again, I was it was in this like fitness and health identity where I didn't believe that that's what I had been doing. What do you so, think that identity was like? If you had to label it, where you because you wouldn't, I'm not, I'm guessing you wouldn't have been like I'm a dieter, but like what what do you think that was um, that identity um, that you were holding on to? I phrased it as um, at the time like I, I, I'm a gym rat, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm, um, you know, a, a literally a product of like the fitness industry. Um, and I so desperately wanted to be seen as that because that's, I think almost like weirdly enough, like the beauty expectation that I had grown up around, like that's what I expected, right? I knew I would never be a very skinny, petite, 
person. I'm not built that way, but I grew up around all these women that were shredded, right? These women that had done shows were, were very petite, but had like strong legs and like had certain aesthetic pieces to them. Um, I also think in college, you know, social media had just started when I was like halfway through college. And that was a huge thing that was on the platform at the time was all these first generation of these fitness influencers. And so that was kind of the identity I was holding on to was like, I have all this knowledge. And if I can just get more, like I literally got a minor in nutrition in college because I thought if I could just get more information, if I just knew everything, then I could fix myself. Right. And people would come to me and they wouldn't be, um, they wouldn't be pointing out my body as a reason for me not being knowledgeable, if that makes sense. So yeah. it was, it was like a sense of pride almost. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because that was the thing that I was so scared to give up because, and, and I say this to my clients now, when you've done something for over a decade of your life, and especially during like some of your most formidable years, you don't know who you are without it. Right. It gave me enough anxiety to skip the gym for a day, let alone give up this idea of that's who I am. Right. Who am I without that? Like, what am I even interested in? What's my personality? What if my friendships don't come from the gym? Right. Um, and I think starting to break up with that, the first step for me was uh moving out of the out of the town I was in. I needed to physically remove myself from the environment um that I was in. And so I moved. I had I forced myself to make new friends. Um, I still, you know, held on to some friends from from college and from my uh, from Lincoln where I was living, but it was, okay, let's make new friends. Okay. Let's maybe start looking into more of like the holistic side of things. What did they say about food and nutrition? And like, how do I maybe practice days where I'm not going to track at all, right? Really trying to almost challenge myself to do things that were really uncomfortable, um, as almost like an experiment, right? Um, and honestly, like that took me another good five years where I went back and forth, but, um, it was through a lot of almost self-discovery, right? It was, that was kind of the pivotal point where I had to start asking why I was doing it, right? Like what, what was I looking to get out of it versus just the action? Yeah. Makes sense. What, what was the process for that? Like rediscovery or kind of how you started to re-identify um, yourself and, and like, who am I without the gym? Who am I without, you know, this, you know, nutritional obsession? Yeah. Um, obviously you change the physical environment that helps and you start to ask yourself more, more meaningful questions. Um, but do you remember what that like definition became for you? Like, it's no longer about the gym as punishment or calories burn. It's now about empowerment and feeling strong. Do you remember what that shift felt like? Um, so I think a lot of that shift was realizing, um, how people saw me, right. And, and not from a, a, a lens of trauma or from a lens of what I thought they saw me as, but truly asking people like, why do you like me? Like, why are we friends? What do you, what do you see me as? Because I could not see myself outside of myself as weird as that sounds. Um, and a lot of the commonalities were like, oh, you make everyone else feel so important and supported and confident about who they are. You never point out someone's looks. You always point out like something that's special about them. And I started trying to do that for myself, right? And that's not easy when you first get started, but I you know, was listening to podcasts. I was looking up different, um, more like therapy practices of, okay, where does this come from? And how can I start to shift the way that I not only talk about myself, but the way I'm thinking about myself, right? Because if I don't want to punish myself anymore, okay, well, what's the opposite of punishment? Well, it's probably gratitude. It's joy, right? Which one do I want to feel every day? Well, I, I definitely don't want to feel like shit every day. So I guess we're going to have to lean towards the other. Um, and I, a, a big thing I tell my clients now is, you know, we live in such an action-based society. We always want to know like, okay, what do I need to do in order to get what I want? 
And that's very much where my head was for a long time of like, okay, I'll listen to all of the things. I'll do all the things and, and hopefully I'll get the result. Um, and I, I had a, a coach at one point said, your thoughts create your feelings, your feelings create your actions, your actions create your results. If you're ignoring your thoughts and your feelings, the actions and results don't matter. Nothing will ever change. And that kind of clicked for me because that went back to that same mentality of, oh, I'm doing the same thing and thinking there's going to be a different result. Well, I'm not changing who I'm being. I just keep changing what I'm doing. Right. Um, And so it was kind of this like internal dialogue of figuring out, okay, who do I want to be? What characteristics does that person have? How does she show up every day? How does she talk to herself? Um, Who is she surrounded by? And, you know, that's not a, uh, an instantaneous transformation. If it was uh, coaches like you and I would make a lot more money because we would just snap our fingers and show somebody how to do it. Um, But it's, it is, it's showing up each day in very small ways and saying, okay, I'm going to be this person now. So that started out with like very, very small things like saying affirmations on the way to work, right? Um, catching myself when I was talking about food, right? If I somebody was in the break room talking about what they brought for lunch and how many calories it had, I had to make the decision within myself, you need to leave the room or you need to change the conversation, right? And so it was, it's very small, minute things that build over time. Yeah, it's it's really well said. Um, there's something that I want to circle back to that we were talking about, which is a lot of times the same thing, we're, we're doing the same thing, we're expecting a different result, definition of insanity, but a lot of times it's masked differently. So it feels different because yeah. it has a different veil, it has a different cover or title or label. So we tell ourselves it's different. How do we delineate? And, and for the the average person who is, you know, susceptible to, um, whether it be from childhood or whatever life experiences they've had, um, they've kind of fallen into this, this narrative and this, this kind of cycle of always trying to be smaller and take up less space. And how do I lose weight? How do I lose weight? Um, how do we delineate when, when there is something that may feel different because of how it's marketed, because of what the title says, because of the buzzwords that are used, um, like, how do we truly know that this is different or am I just kind of believing that it's different because I just want to stay the same? I think there's a lot of different ways I could answer that. Um, when I, for example, when I talk about my coaching, I explain to women, you know, look at what, look at what you have tried and what are the commonalities, right? Is it have to do with just your body? Does it have to do with just food, just movement? right? Or is it all action-based to get a result, right? Looking at that and then saying, has it ever actually treated the symptoms? Has it ever looked at the root cause, right? So almost asking that question of like, what's the why under the why? Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? Or what are they promising you? Um, And then I think another big one, at least for me, is saying, can I do this the rest of my life without paying for it? And as someone that literally makes her living off of coaching, that's a funny thing to say, but I literally tell my clients, I don't want to see you again. If I've done my job correctly, you should not have to pay for this. You should be able to do it and practice it and live it the rest of your life, right? But if someone says, oh, you have to follow this program or you have to buy this food and the minute you stop paying me, you can't do it anymore that tells me there's something wrong, right? Because that's not sustainable. That's not realistic. So to me, I'm like, all right, well, there's the the red flashing neon sign that says bullshit, but um, it's teaching people to look out for those kind of cues. Yeah, I talk about that all the time. It's funny that uh, I, I mentioned Weight Watchers because they are notorious for saying, well, we have such great repeat customers, <laughs> basically bragging about the fact that when people leave Weight Watchers, they can't sustain the results. They so they go back. Back. And yes. that's like, they're using that as a vote of confidence. Like, look at how good we are. People love us. They come back to us. And to me, it's the opposite of what we should be accomplishing. Um, so it, it is, I mean, it's confused. There's a lot of 
information that does like cloud our judgment because it's like, oh, well, yeah, it, it worked, right? Like I lost the 20 pounds. And then when I left Weight Watchers, I gained it back. But when I was doing it and I was consistent, it worked. So I just have to be consistent again. We hear that all the time. And, you know, a lot of times I'll just get messages randomly from people with that exact mindset. And it's like, I'll ask them, like, what do you think you need to do? Well, this other program worked. I just stopped doing it. And then I gained the weight back. So I just have to be more consistent again. Uh, is there anything that you use to kind of help them understand the the flaw in that line of thinking to basically hold up the mirror and say, did it really work though? Well, it, exactly that. I said, if it worked, tell me why you're not doing it anymore. You know, what happened when life happened again? That's the answer. Life. When life, when life happens, why'd you stop doing it? Well, because, you know, I wanted to go on vacation or I wanted to enjoy this or, right? We, we want to live. And if what you're doing doesn't allow you to live your life fully, you're not going to do it anymore, right? If it's not pleasurable, if it's not easy, as simple as that sounds, you're not going to follow through with it, right? And so I think whenever they ask me that, they're like, well, it worked. I'm like, yeah, and if it worked, it would still be working and we would not be having this conversation. Right. And right? I think it's back to what we said of always blaming yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it did work. I was the problem. And it's trying to help them understand that a program that helps set you up for success is one where life doesn't get in the way because life always gets in the way. And, it, and whatever you're doing, if you're living life and life gets in the way and you're able to keep doing it, then that's that's the testament of a program that actually worked. Like if you're only successful when life is calm and you have all the time and nothing is in the way, good luck, right? Because I don't know anyone's life that is like that. Completely. I even have a hard time. I don't know if you struggle with this, but I even have a hard time calling what we do. Like I'll say coaching program. Oh, we have this one-on-one coaching program. And I feel weird saying program because like it's not... You're not like boxed in. It's there's no rules. There's no you have to do this. You can't. And, and it's so weird to call it a program or a plan. It's like we're literally just learning about you and we're modifying behaviors based off of what you want for yourself. And it's there's no plan. There's no program. It's the, and everyone's so no rules. It's, <laughs> it it truly. I completely agree. That's even why I said it at the beginning. I have a hard time calling myself a wellness coach because that's not. When I say that, people assume, oh, you teach me how to track my food and how to work out. That's not what I do. I teach you how to heal your relationship with food in your body, right? And so it is like almost what we're doing is um, so much of the mindset and the emotional work that it is like a step down from therapy, where I kind of always say it's like habit change, right? The We're all looking for this like flashy, quick fix, magic pill. But what it comes down to is what you're consistently doing every single day and whether it's benefiting you or it's not, right? And for a lot of us, we just get stuck in the ones that feel good, but don't really do much for us. Yeah, the, the temporary dopamine hit with without much substance. Um, do, well, I'm curious when women reach out to you and uh, inquire, are they saying I, I want help changing my body or have they reached a point of like, I'm I'm done with this. I just want somebody to fix the the demons inside my head. Um, I'd say a little bit of both, but honestly, the majority of conversations I get are not inquiries. Most of them are me talking to women and saying, "Hey, tell me more about your story. Hey, this hit home for you for some reason, right? If they send me a, a DM and they say something about you know something I posted really resonated with them, that's where I get the opportunity to ask, like, why. What did that bring up for you? Right. Because I think for so many of us, myself included, right. I already kind of said this. We don't want to admit that there's something that we have a problem with that we can't handle. Right. I think that's, that's to be said for men and women. Um, But women, at least from my own perspective, you know, there's so much placed on us now that you have to be so many different things. And if you ask for help or, or if you show weakness, right? That it's, again, it's a pride thing. And so for so many women, our conversations are a lot more about like, I get it. I hear you. Like, you're not crazy here. And then them saying, 
I'm just sick of thinking so damn much. I just want to feel good in my body. I just want to feel confident again. I don't even care what size I am anymore. I'm just, I'm just sick of it, right? They're exhausted. Um, so yeah, it is. It's almost more of like the therapy conversation of like, great, you've already done all the shit. You've already tried all the things. Um, and the people who come to me that are still in that mentality, I usually say like, I'm here to support you, but let's, let's table it. Let's talk in a few months when you realize you're going to keep doing that same program that still doesn't work. And you're going to go, oh yeah, that's what coach Ali said. Yeah. Maybe I need to reach back out. Yeah. I think that especially for a certain like personality type or uh, somebody who's like very driven and you mentioned the whole, like do these actions for this outcome. And it's so ingrained in us. Like if I just work harder, if I just put in more time and energy and effort, then I'll get the thing. And number one, typically that leads to burnout. You mentioned the the mental energy that it's consuming. But what I experienced for myself was that getting the thing was never actually the thing. It was like, yeah, I did the actions. I got the thing. And I was like, well, that's, this feels no different. Well, maybe it's this other thing over there. So I would push the goalpost back and I would chase the next milestone and I would achieve that. And I felt no better about myself. So I would push it again. And it was going to be a never ending cycle until my body literally was like, uh-uh, we're not doing this anymore. We, we cannot get any smaller. <laughs> Physically, we cannot get any smaller. And then I gained a bunch of weight back because my body will always win that battle. And yeah. I think that it's, it's unfortunate that sometimes we have to go there to realize that if we just sometimes relinquish that control for a second and recognize the, um, just the, the rat race that we're in to chase something that, that probably it's like this, the hedonic treadmill, uh, it, it's not actually the reward that you think it is. You're always going to keep chasing it. And, you know, I think it's hard. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I think you're spot on of. Um, something I, I ask women when we're on a call is what do you think losing weight is going to give you? Right. Because yeah, if you, for health reasons, need to lose weight or your body wants to, right. It's just holding on to it right now. Cause it's scared. That's fine. But it's usually a byproduct of how you're taking care of yourself, not how you're punishing yourself. Right. And to your point, it's so much of what we think the weight loss is going to give us. It's not actually the number on the scale, right? It's acceptance, it's worthiness, it's love, right? It's all of these deeper seated issues and these feelings that we feel like we've never had. One more quick pause in this conversation. Uh, one of the things that I have been really intentional about is how I start my day and how I end my day. I find that I feel better when I am giving myself some momentum early on. Like, you know, sometimes I don't sleep well, or sometimes I have a, a heavy work day and the stress and the anxiety accumulates. But if I start my morning with a quality routine and putting quality things in my body, I just feel better. And part of that routine is making sure that I have my Organifi green juice to start the morning. Because Number one, I don't like to drink water <laughs> first thing. I'm usually like, let me go right for the coffee. But I think um, having the green juice is helpful because uh, for some reason, the straight water uh, just, I have a hard time with it. So typically what I'll do is a little bit of lemon water first, and then I'll go to the Organifi green juice, crisp apple. Um, and it's just quality ingredients to start my day. I feel really good about getting in that insurance policy for my vegetables because I'm not the best vegetable eater. So I have my green juice there. And then to end my day, I have the Organifi Gold Juice, which currently, because I am in an active fat loss phase, it is even more <laughs> crucial for me to have that little sweet chocolatey flavored drink. I do the gold chocolate um, and just some, some hot or warm almond milk, mix it up. And it is like the perfect end of day treat that helps me to feel like I'm getting a little little dessert at the end of the day. And then also part of my morning routine, I will put some Organifi collagen into my coffee. And um, as I get older, as I approach 40, I just want to be more intentional about taking care of my skin and hair and nails and collagen helps with all of those things. And you get 20% off by being a Mind Over Macros listener. And you go to Organifi.com slash pop fam to get 20% off any of their products. 
That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash P-O-P-F-A-M. Use code POPFAM at checkout. Highly recommend the crisp apple green juice, the gold chocolate. Uh, the Sheila Jeet gummies are my absolute favorite right now. Been loving those for a little pre-workout energy boost. And then uh, Mel has been taking the Harmony product, which is a hormone balancing product. Also, she uses it the same way as kind of her end of day little sweet drink. So either way, if you do the gold chocolate, if you do the Harmony, um, try the green juice, try the Sheila Jeet gummies, go get 20% off Organifi.com slash popfam. And now let's get back to the episode. What are some of the things that you look for? Because let's let's just hypothetically say that you know a woman says, well, I do, I do want to lose weight. I do want to, you know, get leaner, whatever their their aesthetic goal is. What are some of the things if you were to ask, like why? What do you think that's gonna do for you? What do you think that's gonna allow you to to be or become or have? What are some of the red flags? And then what are some of the things that tell you that it's really coming from a an authentic, holistic place? Um, I think it's it's actually a lot more straightforward than we maybe like to say. If someone's talking about weight loss and it has everything to do with someone else's acceptance, that's usually a red flag, right? Unfortunately, I see a lot of women who have had terrible relationships with food and with their body for a long time um, that then fall into abusive or very toxic relationships, right? And so it continues that narrative of if I lose weight, if I'm smaller, they'll love me more or they'll be nicer to me or they'll want to show me off. They'll be proud of me, right? It has so much to do with someone else um, or or acceptance in that way. Um, you know, if it, I have clients currently that have said, you know, Ali, I... I still kind of want to lose weight. Like, is that okay? Like, I, I don't want you to be mad at me for it. I'm like, absolutely not. Like that's a, that's a, an okay goal to have totally. But when that is our only goal, you're never going to achieve it. When your goal is how do I change my habits, my behaviors to live a healthier and happier life that's sustainable. Again, weight loss may become a byproduct of that. I kind of, um, kind of like like ladder step it down for them, right? I say, okay, if you're talking nicer to yourself, you probably feel better in the morning. You're probably going to move your body in ways that feel good. You're probably going to feed yourself with foods that make you feel good, right? So it's already a positive momentum. Okay, if your body then is like, cool, she's feeding me, she's letting me sleep, she's giving me water, she's being nice to me, I don't have to be stressed anymore. I don't have to be scared that she's not going to feed me anymore. Like I can chill out, right? And over time, yeah, your body will most likely change. It, it may evolve depending on what you're doing. But you have to heal your relationship first before you can take all of those more, I like to say, more advanced steps to um, the aesthetic realm. Because if we start with aesthetics and you haven't messed with any of the the mental, emotional, right? The internal dialogue. Good luck keeping the aesthetics. It's not going to happen. Completely. I, I call it a top-down approach. If we don't start there, then nothing else matters. And I think a lot of times that's that's a hard thing to hear because there's that, you know, again, there's there's the pressure, there's the external pressure, internal, you know, whatever, wherever it's coming from, there's this feeling like I have to change it now. So just tell me what to do. I'm going to go do it so I can get this result. And and we're over here like, well, actually, we're going to assess the way that you're talking to yourself and your relationship with food. And um, But it makes sense. Like if you're coming from a place, because I, I live this, you know, if you're coming from a place of I'm, you know, I hate the way that I, like when I, I was, I guess, close to 100 pounds that I had lost at one point, but um it was coming from a place of like true load. Like I wanted to get back to my old identity of being an athlete. So it's like, I hate this new identity. And I associated that with the weight that I was carrying, but the punishment of restriction was also followed up by punishment of overindulging and punishment of binging and punishment of not resting and, and overly like, so when you think about it from the, like, I'm doing this because I love myself, there is no punishment. There's, you're doing those things, you know, the, the foods that you're consuming, the way that you're moving, the way that you're sleeping and managing stress and, you know, processing your emotions when it's coming from a place of like, I actually accept who I am and, and, 
you know, I do want to be a better version of myself, but it's coming from a place of self-love and care. It's a totally different context that leads to a completely different yeah. you know, outcome. And, and I think that that's the, the, the reframe that a lot of people struggle with because we've been, we've almost been taught that it has to be restrictive and miserable and punishing. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what, what it says everywhere. Right. The um, the phrase that always comes back to my mind because I heard it so much growing up was eat less, move more. It was everywhere. Right. And I always joke with clients that if that was it, if that was the answer, everyone would be in a smaller body. We would have a much healthier country. Right. We would not have the health issues we have. Like you would have all the answers. But that's that's not that's an overarching uh phrase that doesn't work for most people because we're not looking at you know you're not a relatively healthy person that just wants to lose weight you're someone that has probably dieted since you were a kid and and subconsciously built this whole narrative over the course of the last 10 20 30 years of course there's going to be more work to do um and i think so much of what you're saying what came to mind was um, for my own story and also my own clients is this idea of respecting yourself and loving yourself seems impossible. Like it's not tangible for them. They don't, they don't understand how to do that because they've never felt that. Right. And so when I open up this, this land of opportunity, as I like to call it, um, it's really scary. Because all the what ifs say, well, if I can eat what I want and I can eat what makes me feel good and I can move in the ways that feel good, well, then I'm going to eat pizza every day and I'm not going to move my body and every it, everything's going to be chaos and everything's going to fall apart and I'm going to have to go back to the diet I was on, right? And so I'm I'm interested because we have so much in common. What do you think on that? Uh, spectrum of like, how do we shift that narrative to, no, there are still like, I like to call them like um, principles to follow, right? We're not eating like an asshole every day, yeah. right? But there's not actual rules, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. there. I, I think that, you know, kind of bumpers, so to speak, or guardrails, whatever you want to call them are helpful. But I even think with that, you know, oh, if I were to just eat whatever, like if you gave me freedom of no foods off limits. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to eat pizza. I'm not going to go to the gym. And that to me is still indicative of a dieter's mindset. Like you still haven't gotten out of the dieter's mindset because you're looking at all the things that you've been depriving yourself of. And you're like, well, I have all of these things in abundance. So I'm going to eat all of them because I might then have to remove them again. And that's still the dieter's mindset because somebody who truly knows that they can eat pizza anytime they want doesn't feel the need to eat all the pizza in one sitting because they know it's always available. And somebody that does have respect for themselves and loves themselves and wants to nourish themselves doesn't eat way past fullness or or sit on the couch all day and doesn't move. And that is still the dieter's mindset of I'm going to do these things out of rebellion. But like, what are you rebelling from? You're rebelling from all the shit that you did in the past. And so that still tells me that we're in that dieter's mindset. We still have to work through that because once we truly get there and it's like, no, you like you can literally have this whenever you want, then there's no longer, it doesn't have control over you anymore. You're going to eat it in moderation. What makes you feel good? Sometimes will you eat more and be like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have had that much. Yeah, but it's not going to ruin your day. You're just going to continue doing the things that you normally do, which is, you know, you're, you're going to move on. Move on. Like I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, you know, it was, I got caught up in a moment of really delicious food. Great. I enjoyed the hell out of it and I moved on with my life and that's what it ends up looking like. So I think that those, those words still create the red flag for me that we're still stuck in the dieter's mindset. We have work to do, which is fine. It, it just tells me that we're not there yet. Right. It, it's a space of what I like to say is like, it's a space of respect right? As we're shifting or, or reframing as, as you will, it's going into the space of, okay, do I respect my body with this decision? Right. And that might be food that, you know, for me, I love candy. I will never get away from candy. It's not happening. Right. And it's saying, okay, if I respect myself, 
I'm going to probably eat a real meal because I do need to eat food, right? That does something for me. But I'm also going to have the candy because I can and I want it. But it doesn't mean to your point, I'm not going to only have the rebellious or the forbidden foods um, because that's not showing my body respect, right? It, It all comes back to this idea of like, if I truly respect who I am and I respect the body that I literally, I can't exchange, you get one body for the rest of your life. Just don't be an asshole to it. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something earlier about, you know, the person that you want to become. And I think sometimes when we ask those questions, there's like, you know, why does this matter? Who, you know, what is that version of you that you want to become? A lot of times we can paint this really beautiful picture, but then our, our words and our actions aren't aligning. And, and sometimes it's just that, that little bit of incongruence and that dissonance that, that exists, that creates a little bit of tension and stress. And once we get that in alignment, all of a sudden it makes sense. Like, Oh, I really want to have more energy to play with my kids. Well, how's that 1200 calorie meal plan working out for you? Like, is that serving that version of you? Of course not. You have no energy to do anything. So it's, it's incongruent with who you actually want to be, why this even is even important to you. And, and sometimes it, it is just reminding yourself, like, this is what, this is who I actually want to become. This is what it's for. Um, and it, it's not easy. Like you said, if we could snap our fingers and, and deliver that, then, um, you know, everybody would be lining up to to buy some. Well, and it, it, I think too, people would, um, again, I like to say it kind of drips into the rest of your life. When you love yourself, when you feel confident and authentic in who you are, when you're respecting the body that you have, um, you communicate better. You show up differently for the, the relationships that you have right? You're able to be fully present. Um, And this kind of touches back on something we had talked about earlier of the burnout, right? So many women come to me and just say like, I'm scared that if I give this piece up, everything else is going to fall apart, right? If I give up the control, this, this beautiful Jenga box that I've created is literally going to just tumble down because I've never prioritized myself over others. Right. And so I think it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. So I know right now my, I know my audience well, and I know that there are a lot of women in particular who are nodding along with this whole conversation. And this may be a a difficult question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What can they do right now? Like this, this connects, this is me. I've had this problem for X amount of years. What can I start doing today to move the needle in the right direction to come from this, like start breaking up with the the diet hamster wheel to start moving to a place of more self-love and respect? Like, what can I do now to start making that happen? Um, so I have two answers. One is easier than the other. Okay. Uh, number one is ask for help. I wish I had asked for help 10 years before I did before I admitted that I was struggling and reached out and said, Hey, I I don't know how to handle this on my own. Right. So whether that's to a friend to talk about it, to a therapist, to a coach, um, to one of us, right. Just reach out and ask for help. Um, the second part of this, I think is, is doing a little bit more of the mindset work. So something I have my clients do right off the bat is write out all of the limiting beliefs, all of the negative self-talk, all of the um, restrictions that you've always placed on your body or on, on food or, or your relationship with, with confidence, right? Write them all out so that you can actually see what has been living in your head all this time. And then I want you to go through each of those and figure out who or what experience taught you that. Because you were not born with that belief. You were not born feeling this way about yourself. Someone or something taught you that that was true. So that means that's not yours to hold on to. You can give it back. We just got to figure out who to give it back to. Yeah, I love that. Great answer. Um, I completely agree. Took me 10 years longer than it should have. And I always look back at that. Like, I don't regret the journey and where it's taken me, but I certainly look back at like, man, 10 years is a long time that I could have, could have uh, gotten here sooner. So 
Um, for, for those that do want to reach out to you, uh, I know that that you have an amazing coaching program, for lack of a better word. So if you want to just let everybody uh, know where they can connect with you and, and uh, what that process looks like. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on all socials at Ask Coach Alley. It's A-L-I. Uh, my website is the same, AskCoachAlley.com. Um, I am huge when it comes to connection and community. So slide in my DM, send me an email, especially if this resonated. I would love to connect with you guys and, and hear your stories. Awesome. And I will make sure that all of that gets posted in the show notes. Um, Ali, I appreciate your time. This was a great conversation. Um, I got a lot out of it. So uh, selfishly, <laughs> that's that's my gauge. Uh, as long as it was helpful for me, that's all. No, was, I think that everybody will enjoy that. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate your wisdom and all that you do. And uh, we will chat soon.